So as we rejoice and give thanks to God and, and celebrate with joy the things that are to come, there's one more thing I was kind of thankful for. We had Father Michael here, Father Michael Luxbacher, for like four weeks while your pastor went AWOL. Um, but one thing he said, besides his, I was grateful for him being here, but one thing he said over and over again was, wow, this is just a well-oiled machine, referring to you all. And I was really grateful. He came, he doesn't know what to do, but it didn't matter because you all did know what to do. So I was just very grateful and rejoicing that there were people who stepped up, there was people who took ownership, there's volunteers here, there, everywhere, and you all like just really supported him while he was here. And he didn't have to do a whole lot of like research or inventing the wheel, reinventing the wheel because y'all just kept it going. So I really am very grateful for that. It's quite a gift that Holy Family has to offer. I want to, um, did I mention that it's my anniversary? It's my birthday. No, it's my anniversary. Um, yesterday, Friday. And I always remember because I always wear, not pink, rose. My first mass was in rose at the altar of John Paul II. Way, 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 like 11 years ago. But I'm grateful to God. I just want to share with you all some insights as we ponder this figure in the Gospel of John the Baptist. Because I think he does shed some light on the mystery of the church. There's some interesting dynamics with the church. Yeah, so I broke the microphone, so we're using this thing, so sorry about the volume. Anyway, um, notice when we talk about the church, it has this dynamic, this dynamic of, of, of being, we would use a technical term that I won't worry about right now, but sacramental. The idea that there's a, a visible, tangible dimension, sacramental, like the, sign, the living sign, visible sign, that points to and puts in touch with an invisible dimension. It's actually the definition of sacrament, but it's like the church. The church is very much that, has that dynamic. You notice John the Baptist, he focuses on one among you whom you do not perceive, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to untie. I am not the light. He keeps emphasizing who he's not. I am not the light. I am not the one. I am not. I am not him. I am here to point you to him. But I am not him. I'm here to lead you to the light. I am not the light. I wear camel's hair and I'm not that attractive and I'm whatever, but there's an invisible dimension. So the church, we talk about the church having these dimensions. It says the kingdom of heaven among us. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. He ascended into heaven and he sent out this gathering dynamic, this church, the apostles preaching the early converts and the growing body of Christ, the body, the physical body, telling people that there's a spiritual reality now present in their midst. So we focus on the, the, the spiritual dimension is, is the heavenly glory of the kingdom of God. We talk about the, the, uh, the church triumphant. They've triumphed. It's the, the, those who've gone before us, they were baptized into Christ, they were baptized into his death, they rose with him, in him, and through him, and they celebrate the glory in full in the kingdom, literally, of heaven. That is among us, but it's invisible. We've got the, the first Christmas in heaven tree, Reminding us, they've gone before us, but they're alive in Christ with us, celebrating in full splendor and full glory. But then there's a little footnote, there's also the church suffering, that we, well, that's a whole other homily about the purgatory dimension. But I want to focus on the visible church here on earth, the mustard seed that isn't fully grown yet, the wheat that is still among weeds when Jesus described how his kingdom would be, it's the church militant, the church still fighting, the church still struggling, the church still sometimes wounded 
It's the body of Christ, which and sometimes we see its glory, and other times we see it looks pretty crucified and gruesome, and I'm not really attracted to that body. It's like, I don't know, when you read about the church sometimes. But it's still holding up the light, the torch. And it's pointing us to the light, but it's saying, I am not the full realization of the kingdom. I'm here to point you to the kingdom, but I am not he in full. A little distracted. Okay, a whole another homily on the movie Encanto. But bear with me. Okay, everyone had a special door. And that door of this little simple house, what was behind that door? Did you see the movie? Oh, come on, people. All right, well, a whole new kingdom that was tailored to each person's gifts. Anyway, I don't know. This, but the, door, the, the house was just a, a doorway. Don't get stuck on the door. Anyway, you got to go through the door. Anyway, so, but the church, visible, the church militant, that's the church you look in the mirror and see. It's the one that doesn't have everything perfect the way you might want it. It's the church with some moles, some warts, some struggles, some brokenness. It's the church in the news. When the news is positive and the church opens a new hospital, giving free access to all who want help. And it's the church in the news for other reasons, which make us weep sometimes. It's the church that's hard to grasp in our, our human intellect. It's a little struggle to get your mind around this mystery of the visible dimension of the church. It has standards and, and rules that kind of challenge our broken nature, that doesn't want to be disciplined and, and, and live a, a more holy, more loving, more humble, forgiving life. I don't, it's like, it is uncomfortable in that visible dimension. It, has, it comes to us like in Stone the Baptist, that unattractive camel's hair. What's so attractive? Nothing is attractive sometimes in that. There's nothing about you, church, sometimes attracting me to you, and yet you want me to go through you? To this light of heaven in our midst? Yes. Both. John the Baptist refers to himself, I am not the light, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way. There's an early writing that makes a beautiful comparison or parallel between John the voice and Jesus the word. The voice gives you the word. But you can't receive the word if there's... got me? I feel like an idiot. But it's like you can't get the word if the voice isn't there. They go together. You don't get the invisible, glorious church and kingdom of heaven without the voice visible, although sometimes complex, the door in our midst. Jesus, at the end of the gospel story, he sends out the apostles. He sends out this visible, tangible community. He sends out these sacraments of baptism through which you enter the door. He gives us that visible dimension with the message and promise and experience already of the invisible sort of penetrating somehow. Sometimes I hear friends that are like, well, can't I just do like me and the Bible alone? Do I really need that church thing? It's kind of aggravating. I don't like what I read about it sometimes. Can't it just be me and the Bible? Well, a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, the Bible story that we're talking about is the Bible that starts in the New Testament has four books that talk about the life of Jesus, who then ascends into heaven. The rest of the Bible is what? It's the church. It's the apostles teaching the way of Jesus Christ, correcting mistakes, telling people what the rules are, correcting like those who go wrong. Like, it's the same. You don't, there's no Bible that doesn't come with the church in it. And kind of tragically, but some of those who kind of coined the phrase scripture alone, Martin Luther was big on that. He had some... He was seeing some of the worst of the church in the 1500s. Um, he emphasized that, but who brought Jesus, the faith, 
to Martin Luther. What was the vehicle? It was the church. He received it because someone taught it to him. Who was that? That's the church. So you can't cut yourself off the limb that you're sitting on from the tree that gave it to you. You, you have to have the church. It was, it, that's how we received all of it. And it's the church of, of not perfect people, sinners. There's some correction that needs to be done. There's some corruption, maybe, in the broken people. You need to go to confession every now and then when you sin. Sometimes you whine and scream and make people aggravated with you. No, just kidding. But anybody like to read? I, I, I don't like to read. I do audiobooks. But if I were to go in a library, I'd find some random shelf based on the, the bright colors of the books, of the covers of the books. I want some shiny, exciting cover with lasers on it or something, you know, fascinating, like some, maybe some jet or airplane. But you know, some of the best classics, their cover is just a plain cover, right? Not very impressive. Impressive. What's that phrase, right? Don't what? Don't judge the book by the cover. It's important because I think we all need to be careful when judging the external, physical dimension of the church. Hey, there's nothing in there for me. Let them do their crazy thing. They're a bunch of... You lose both if you discard the cover. That's the one Jesus gave us. The internal and the external. The invisible and the visible go together. It's a body, soul and body together. You don't have one without the other. It's a bride and a groom. And what God has joined, we can't separate. I mean, for what it's worth, even our sacraments, again, that word, the host on the altar, it's a physical piece of bread, not very impressive. But truly and invisibly, it's so much more. The church gives us that. But we've been brought up, this is our generation and several generations, like you've heard so much, sadly, you know, back in, I don't know, early couple hundred years ago, there were so many saints and such beautiful moments of the church. There was a moment of, of some more glory in the visible church. We have not really had that experience lately. And you hear so much about the church. Oh, it's the, those hypocrites in the Catholic Church. Oh, they're so judgmental in the Catholic Church. Oh, they so condemn so many people who they think are going to hell in the Catholic Church, which is not true, by the way. But there's so much scandal in the Catholic Church. It's so corrupt. And look, Father, he talks forever. I don't like the Catholic Church. There's too many weeds for the wheat. I want just the pure Puritan wheat. Well, join the Puritan Church and see how they did. But we don't get that. We don't have that. But we grew up with news stories, skirmishes, politics, parish drama, individual family drama about the faith, struggling with the faith, my own drama within my own heart. I'm divided against myself. I want to follow Jesus, but oh, that's really hard. I can't, I, I'm going to give in to this temptation right here, right now. That, that division is real. And as we experience that, Especially the, the news lately, the, the, the stuff about the church in the last couple of years slash decades, we could easily get pulled into a lot of confusing movements and, and emotions and, and thought processes, and, and it's like really confusing, and it, it changes our attitude towards that visible camel-haired church. What do we do with that? What informs my decisions, my attitude towards the church? What the news says? Well, my feelings, my passions, my personal reaction to what I heard or read or who I knew or the guy I liked or didn't like or what I thought, my movement of friends, what they're doing or what they're saying, well, like what informs my, or is it faith? The faith that Jesus gave us, the teachings Jesus gave us that informs how I react. 
to what is said or done in or about the church. That's why the second reading, St. Paul makes a really important point. Receive all, all of, all of it. Receive all the prophetic utterances, whatever, but test everything. Test the spirits. Pause. Listen for the movement of the Holy Spirit so that you're following that and not so much other emotionally charged conversations sometimes. Think about this for a moment. Like, this is 2,000 years of church history. This is not the first time, these are not the first decades that have been maybe a little bit polemic, a little bit difficult in the church. What did Jesus intend for every Christian to do in moments when the church is struggling or when there's uncertainty, where there's division, where there's doubt? What is every Christian supposed to be doing? Leaving and founding their own church? Or maybe focusing more on the basics, prayer, discernment, listening, love, forgiveness, compassion, giving the benefit of the doubt, learning my faith better, the faith that I do know for certain, that there's no question about, seeking to build communion instead of division, reaching out as the arms of the love of God. Like That's what every Christian should be doing, regardless of the polemics going on around us. We want to stay with that voice, the external, visible doorway. Stay there. Even though sometimes it doesn't seem the most attractive. Sometimes it's a beautiful choir voice that speaks things that are easy for us to receive. They appeal to us. The idea of loving your neighbor, being compassionate towards people you disagree with, being tolerant of so many people or things. Sometimes it's that raspy voice that challenges me. But it's that voice. And there's no other dependable voice. Look, the Catholic Church, 2,000 years of a voice that sometimes has had beautiful years and sometimes kind of raspy years, but that voice is still going today. That's pretty impressive. Pretty, it adds a lot of weight and credibility to that voice amidst so many others versus the media voice, the voice of the gossip in my friends, the voice of polarized parties over different issues or topics or polemics. What informs my faith? What do I listen to? It's interesting, little footnote. We do get really upset with the scandal in the church. And we're so angry and we see like, oh my gosh, how could members of the church, even priests, do things that the church says is terribly wrong? Utterly tr- just disgusting, the church says about these things. What's ironic is that we then, instead of realizing, oh, the church was right about what it teaches, and confirming my faith in the church, Instead, there's been sort of a twisting of, therefore, I'm going to leave the church, even though what just happened validated the teachings of the church. Because I hate what happened, and the church would tell me it's to be condemned, it's awful. Why would I leave the teaching voice when it's being confirmed by my reaction to what happened? I hope you catch that. That's important. There are so many skirmishes, even lately, and I want to share with you, as I think about a lot of them lately, the, 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 I don't know, you name it, like the consolidation of parishes coming together and sort of the reaction to that, the struggles with that, the anger and emotional issues with that. There's the, obviously the scandal, the bankruptcy, there's 500 claims and more, whatever. There's parish drama, there's personal drama, there's the bankruptcy, there's the, the movements and, and the division of the church is, is, is so opposed to certain groups. There's the situation right here in Luling. We've been through a lot. Luling is hurting with what happened recently. But I want to share with you that amidst these skirmishes, at least personally, when I try to zoom out and gauge how to react, how to feel, how to 
for me, all these different skirmishes, and each one of them is so different. So it's got its own issues, especially even the bankruptcy, that's 500 plus individual unique situations, each of them different causes. But for me, I noticed that there seems to be one consistent goal being accomplished, whether it's intended or not by the individuals involved. And that goal is a greater and greater distrust of the door, of the visible church. Every single one of those things leads people to a division from the church, from the visible church. Whatever they are, they always lead to, oh, I'm, I'm done. I'm over here, forget the church. I'm over here, forget the archbishop. I'm over here, forget going to my church parish for, on Sunday. I just, like, they all seem to lead to that one end, that one goal. And if they all have the same goal, which is kind of a mystery that so many different things could be leading to the same conclusion. I want to suggest that they have one cause underneath the, the, the surface level. One enemy and one real battle going on. It's all about undermining your faith, my faith, in the visible church that Jesus gave us. Leading us to splinter, leading us to isolate, leading us to island, cutting us off from the supply line, if you will. And we're getting caught up. We ourselves get caught up in the wrong battles and the wrong enemies. Oh, this person's my enemy. That person in the newspaper, he's terrible. I hate what he's doing, what he stands for. Or this community is my enemy. And that's the battle I'm focusing on getting all caught up in. That's what I'm going to Facebook post about over and over again. Some of the Facebook posts to some of the sadness that's been in the news lately, those Facebook posts don't look anything like the Christian teaching. It, we were pulled away from the Christian teaching, Christian attitudes. To react with emotion, to react with anger, to react with hatred, to react with spite, which Jesus didn't stand for any of that. But yet we're not realizing the real enemy and the real battle seems to be accomplishing that kind of pulling of my heart away from the way, truth, and life of Jesus Christ, the visible church of Jesus Christ. There's so many moments where you just see the same things being undermined, which leads me to believe there's one battle and one enemy and these are just different instantiations of him trying to do the same thing. Again, we are called to, to trust. We are called to prayer. We are called to learn our basics better in the midst of storms. When we can't see what's right, what's wrong, we, just, we do what we know is right. We focus on who we are as Christians. We focus on the sacraments that we know are there for us. We forgive. We seek to heal divisions. As the enemy seems to seek to divide us, let us seek to unite and overcome so many divisions, so many emotional, polarizing currents that are going on. Pause, reflect, think, discern the spirits, test the spirits that gauge your attitude towards the church, the visible church, the militant, wounded, fighting, struggling church. We're about to receive Holy Communion. That word communion, right? That's, what, that's another image of the church that so many individuals called into one as you receive it just an invitation to pray for the wisdom to recognize the real enemy the real battle the real church the real mission and not get caught up in the wrong battles and the wrong enemies who are really not my enemy and secondly renew as you receive holy communion renew my commitment to the communion of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, 
his apostles, the apostolic authority that he gave us through them. Trust in that authority when it teaches us the way, even if the members who teach it aren't always perfect angels. Don't hold on too tightly to these external things, these skirmishes, or even the buildings. Sometimes like, I want the building that's my church. That's my church. Forget the Aristotle. That's my church. Or this priest, this physical priest, he is my... All they're saying is, I am not he. And they're pointing you to the light. Don't hold on to the one who says, I'm not the one. They're trying to point you to the one. But renew today our commitment to the one holy, Catholic, apostolic, communion, church, gathering, visible and invisible, militant and triumphant in this life towards the fullness to come. Let us not get caught up and distracted and pulled away from it on our common shared journey towards heaven. Amen. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph.